0: Hello. 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 And welcome to the Pioneer's Post podcast, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Hi, I'm Bob Toost, co founder of Practical Governance.
1: Hi, I'm Math Potts, I'm the founder of Camarados.
0: Welcome to the Feelings Mutual, a podcast series where Math and I are joined by guests from all backgrounds to discuss the concept of mutual aid and the proposition that it lies at the very heart of systems change and social justice. Mutual aid means that we look out for each other. You support me and I support you. In the wake of COVID-19, thousands of new groups have been set up on these principles. But have we lost the mutual in mutual aid along the way?
1: Uh, We're over the moon that everyone's talking about mutual aid. But unfortunately, some of it is bollocks.
0: We hope this series will have open and honest discussions from all perspectives around the theme of mutual aid.
1: Let's go for it.
0: Right, we're up and running. Episode four of The Feelings Mutual. And we're so excited to welcome our guests today, Vidya Alekerson and Angela Fell. It's going to be a good one, this one, Maff, eh?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of both of them, but also they have great things to say, which are always worth listening to, so uh, I absolutely can't wait.
0: Vidya's first, and she's got a background in personalisation, health and social care, and is now Chief Executive of Power to Change, an independent trust that supports community businesses all across the country. So to kick us off, Vidya, it'd be great to hear what mutuality means to you.
2: So the perspective that I've had over the last six years is really about trying to support community-rooted, locally-rooted organisations. And I think one of the things I'd be really excited to talk about today is how they form part of an ecosystem that can support mutuality, um, whilst being formal organisations, what is their relationship to to mutuality. I spent my background coming into Power to Change was doing about a decade's worth of work on personalisation in health and social care. And so a lot of my thinking around mutuality and um, seeing people as whole people and asset-based thinking comes from that background. Um, and a lot of the experiences that I had of trying to support people to regain a life rather than access a service. And I suppose for me, I think one of the starting points for this whole conversation about mutuality is that we seem to have ended up in a world where we think that a service, a formal service, is the response to every human need. And that's both unsustainable from a systems perspective like there just isn't enough service to go around we could never meet human need in that way but more importantly it sort of kills our human spirit
1: so now over to somebody who um regularly uh, delights me and makes me think in my day on social media with uh, some fantastic thoughts and a stream of consciousness of community brilliance angela calls herself a wise citizen of wigan and brings 30 years of experience listening to people who aren't usually listened to angela what is your perspective on mutuality?
3: For me, mutuality is about how we claim that right to citizenship at a local level through sharing, through a voluntary and reciprocal relationship, our gifts and our skills and resources. And, and the pandemic brought me home to the village that I live in. And when we'd had some ideas in the village that I live in prior to the pandemic about how we can build community and create our own health and wealth together. And, and so that's really what I'm interested in.
0: Mm. Uh, really interesting, Angela. In lots of our previous podcasts, we talked about the phenomenon of mutual aid groups, which sprung up in the first lockdown everywhere we talked about informal and formal in relation to sort of mutual aid and mutual groups and we talked about small or large or scale and this feels a bit like the next evolution of that conversation into well is it really all about just those things or are we talking about a whole system or ecosystem that could be based around these these ideas of mutuality and i know you know prior to this podcast we've all talked a bit about that and different perspectives um and i don't know if uh, you know I mean, Andrew and i when we we talked some time ago, you were describing a little bit about how there were sort of different elements or different layers, if you like, that you might build up. And if you missed one layer out, you know, maybe you you weren't building something that really worked in that ecosystem sense. And I wonder whether that might be a, a route in, if you you could share some of those thoughts that, that we were talking about some time ago.
3: For me, I have a feeling and a sense that the, the kind of bottom layer of the ecosystem is about a style of being together in right relationship with each other. And then layered on top of that is ABCD Ways. And I know that sometimes, you know, people can kind of recoil a little bit from the idea of the CD on the end of it. And, and I, know, I noticed that too when I was testing out the ideas of Hillary Cotton, that often if uh, people are really, really attached to professional identity, it can be difficult to think of this idea of taking your mask off and starting right at the very, very core of community. So I think Camarado principles with A, B, C, D wares, and then as we start to knit and weave, we naturally create a system where people start to think about what they could do together. So already, you know, for example, We started at the beginning of of lockdown to take the approach of community treasure mapping and discover what people were interested in and what they might want to offer. And that's led to, over over a six-month period, one of the things is the creation of a pantry. Now, we're hosting that as a hosting leadership style. And already within the – each week, more people come wanting to join in and take part, which is just so heartwarming to watch. But already people are saying things like, hmm, maybe we could have a shot because I don't know how long we can use this scout hop for. And I think that's how we grow this kind of system because sometimes if we kind of just go straight to organising, The people who never get picked for the netball team get left out, whereas a community, intentional community building style invites people in from the edges. It's about how you put the call out in community and then people will show up and and, and be able to give the gifts to the community that they possibly didn't even realise they had. Wow! Thank
0: you. Yeah, thanks. It's really interesting. I mean, and video. I don't know if you want to um build a bit, particularly on that kind of behaviour foundation that that Angela talked about.
2: Yeah, itching to get in. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. I just wish we were all in a room together. I suppose one of the things that struck me and frustrated me sort of throughout the whole of the first bit of the pandemic was this sort of juxtaposition, or the the fact that people were presenting formal and informal as as sort of opposites. And I suppose what I saw in the best of what community businesses were doing. And this is by no means universal, was enabling a lot of what Angela's described. And I just wanted to tell you the story and Bob, you'll know this um, community business well. So up in Bamford in the Peak District is a community pub and it's been going for quite a long time now, owned by the community, taken over by the community and then now run by the community. And it's it's sort of a hub for the whole community. When it was um, originally taken over by the community, the community sort of put a lot of sweat equity into getting it up and running. And some of the older people in the community couldn't do much in terms of, you know, painting the walls and stuff. So they made a lot of food for the people who were doing the work. Several weeks later, after the work had been completed, the community who were were sort of around the pub realised that one of the older people wasn't coming in anymore. And because of that mutual connection that had been built up through putting the pub back on its feet, the community members, like local people, just went out to to find out what was going on and, and knocked on her door and found that she was ill and then started reciprocating by cooking her food when she could no longer cook for them. And I suppose that for me is sort of what I saw a lot of in the first phase of the pandemic, particularly. We obviously, you know, in, in this phase, gosh, we don't quite know what's going to happen, but was this the sense that lo- you know, community-rooted um formal organizations can enable that kind of n- network of mutuality that means that what a community can do for itself is not just limited by the four walls of that formal organization but but becomes a kind of net around that formal organization so you're sort of getting a bit of the best of both worlds and I think for me the starting point for the formal organization is what is your ethos what's your purpose and is it to to kind of grow yourself and and dominate or is it to facilitate community actions like the stuff that Angela's been describing And I think if you and you know I think in too many cases we end up with the former but the latter is possible and I think we've I saw some really fantastic examples of that and I think if you start with the ethos that your role is to facilitate community action not to take it over um, and not to become the dominant force as it were in in your local area then I think there can be this really important synergy that brings out the best of both and can enable by working together can enable more in the local area. I think that's absolutely spot on And I think the important bit there
3: is that when we're exploring and kind of inviting other people to host and facilitate community action, we possibly need to add on to that. It's the community action as as grown upwards rather than as seen through a reducing demand perspective, you know, stimulating what you want to see. And and I too saw fantastic examples. I'm a trustee of a voluntary organisation in Netherton in Sefton who hosted uh, the the pandemic within the community and and did that in such a loving mutual way. So they they spent £68 in total on emergency food throughout the whole pandemic through recycling uh, food parcels that were not needed or required Uh, within the community, and then creating partnerships with with other organisations too. And one of the things that they did that I really, really loved is that anybody who was on the shielding list, they made sure that they had doorstep conversations and discovered what it was that they would like to offer and contribute. So that then led to a range of kind of scrub hub, sewing, planting, knitting, all kinds of different things so that everybody felt that like they had a purpose and were contributing to the whole community effort and I think that's really important too.
2: And I think just to build on that I think one of the things that we sort of disregard or don't take seriously is that in so many of the communities that I've observed and Angela's got much more kind of direct experience but I think we're we're we describing the same sort of thing is a lot of what starts is quite small and we tend to dismiss as being not that significant but it can often build really powerfully into quite big actions that do create transformative change locally and I think about Granby Four Streets in Liverpool was one of the first community businesses I went to visit you know there's, just, there's just a 30-year story of community action but it started with a few women being fed up of their area being completely neglected and taking out brooms and sweeping the streets you know nothing more sophisticated than that and then they put planters on the streets and try to make their area beautiful because people had neglected it for years and then they painted up painted all the boarded up houses so that the place looked nicer and you could look at that and say okay well that's not very significant but you know 30 years on they now own some of those houses they have a community land trust they've taken you know assets into community ownership it's it's quite a sophisticated operation so I think that you know, and labelling communities to start small, to start from where they want to start and to build is really, really critical. And I think one of the things that I'm interested in is how do we do that in a better way? Because I think often we don't nurture those seeds. We see these small actions and sort of dismiss them. And I think what Angela's described really powerfully is how the pantry turns into a shop, into something else, into something else. And, and we see that a lot. Like one community business gets started in an area and it leads to another one and another one. and And gradually you've got a small kind of, you know an economy a local economy within that place that's an alternative economy and really powerful but i don't think we're very good at at seeing those small seeds and and nurturing them and enabling them i think we tend to dismiss some of this stuff very quickly as being just small just kind of nice to have but i think it has the big it's the beginnings of something incredibly powerful in in a lot of places
1: can i just ask about that because there's not just the seed end of the whole story but also the the incredible success end of the story which is When do these extraordinary grassroots, ground up ideas stop? Because people are weird. We all are. And when we get more passionate and we see success, we want to do more. And that's fabulous. But we also want to fix more. And we start to butt up against things like, well, you know, systems and policy requirements. And suddenly you become a framework and then a massive organization. And then you decide to formalize and systemize. So, How does all that wonderful stuff, which I'm a massive fan of, how how do you nurture it without spoiling it?
3: That is such a challenge. That really is, isn't it? I mean, today, I noticed yesterday that Greater Manchester has secured some money for green social prescribing, which really could be the colonisation of making a vegetable patch and going for a walk. And I know it's really, really well intentioned. And I know when it's done well, it's kind of done in a community development way. But I, I spotted it, you know, because one of the things that we've been uh, noticing that's been growing naturally and organically in the community is a community garden that people are kind of joining in and taking part in, and, and community walks. And and we've we've also got some people who are interested in making some like little treasure on app games to keep people going so we'd love a little bit of cash but so that we could kind of enable that to happen but to do it and to get there you know somebody sent me a framework today and I was like what's this all about and the measures of it are, are kind of not what I'd like to see measured around more friends and deepening of associational life it's about it's a real shift isn't it And that's the
1: challenge yeah. i guess what i'm talking about here is the boundaries of the, of the ecosystem that both of you talk about is there are boundaries i've heard video talk about formal organizations uh, don't realize they need to enable the informality but to do that they need to know what they do do and what they don't do and similarly the informal group has to realize it's okay to stop at being informal and not have to formalize but we but from both ends we're driven to some behaviors which cross the line into what others do. And I, I guess those boundaries of the ecosystem, i just love to slightly explore a little bit with you. And I know Video, you talked about was it the Hub on the Hill?
2: Yeah, so I think there are there are a few different things that are going on at these boundaries math. So H- Hub on the Hill is a great example. It's in Telford. It's a community hub, brilliant organization. Um one of the things it's been doing recently over the last few years is actually connecting up local people who need support, say with personal care or you know basically just need support to get on with their lives with other local people who want to provide that support and it's very much neighbor supporting neighbours in a way that means that people aren't traveling miles for for work and people get the same person coming to support them each day and it's worked really 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 well and now they, they're thinking of expanding it. But if they want to get into more formal domiciliary care as you know as defined by in sort of social care terms, they have to now become CQC registered. And the tension for them is can they keep the ethos and the approach and the locally rooted neighbors point neighbors approach that they're, they're doing sort of, can they keep that while still getting regulated, you know, still being CQC approved and that the fear is obviously that they can't. And so that definitely is one of the, one of the boundaries and one of the blockers of the, of the system. I think the other couple of things that I see is we just have this, I mean, it goes back to Angela's social prescribing point, which I sort of, I shudder when I hear social prescribing, if I'm honest. And I think it's partly this um, thing about rolling things out. So when I still remember sitting in a meeting with Ed Miliband when he was leader of the Labour Party in the opposition, and somebody was talking about a really good diabetes walking group in Bethnal Green or something like that, and his immediate response, and this is just a very... It's not about Ed Miliband so much as about the way Whitehall and Westminster thinks about things. Um, it's like, how do we roll that out nationally? It's like, no, you, you don't want to roll that out nationally. What that community needs is not what the, another community needs or the third community needs. And I think we we are really bad at at scaling uh, or at growing things organically so that they're different in each community and that they're, they're driven by that community. We, t- we like to see a successful thing and then try to roll it da- out from a top down, like let's spread it everywhere. And so, so many things like social prescribing take brilliant small scale examples at community level and try to nationalize them. And that to my mind often leads to the imposition of kind of the wrong outcome metrics, standardization of things. I think one of the reasons why things go wrong is that we think that the that good is about scaling up. Everything has to get bigger. And I think what you were saying is that things, some things are beautiful and at the scale that they're supposed to be at, and we and everything doesn't have to get bigger and bigger. And I think part of recognizing that this is about an ecosystem is recognizing the place of each thing and that each thing doesn't need to grow constantly to succeed. And then I think it's also about how do we how do we make more small things grow everywhere so that every community can have its can have its version of community led action, but that, that it's not about rolling out a social prescribing model across the country. I think we're we're sort of stuck in these these ways of thinking about how to enable this stuff that's very top down.
0: There's something I wanted to pick up on there. Video, because I think this the nub of it in lots of ways. And, and one of the things I've heard you say a lot in various conversations about this idea of, um, you know, you can't meet everyone's needs with a service, right? Not every human need can be responded to by a service. And um, in a way, what you're sort of describing is things which are working really well for local communities that meet kind of our core needs for friendship and purpose, as, as Math would say servicizing them if that's a word you know sort of suddenly going right oh now we need to package that up and make it a service yeah. and roll it out
2: you've talked about it before on the podcast it's the befriending service like you know my mom is currently you know she's 77 we've stopped seeing her because of the rates of covid so she spends all day on her own with nothing to do apart from go for a walk but you know what she wants is social is the social network that she normally has what she doesn't want is a befriending service she wants friends and she's got loads of friends it's just with covid she can't see any of them so she's endlessly on the phone and it's fine and she's fine. But it's that thing of, yes, we need social connection, but we don't want to turn that into a service. You know, the idea that somebody's going to be paid to call me up makes me feel even more humiliated than before.
0: Completely. I mean, there was something else that you said in that whole thing, which is about what we want to see, you know, is, is perhaps more people able to do the things for themselves. That's a version of scale, which isn't the efficient version of sort of centralised control and concertina upscale um it's a different way of scale a more enabling one and I, I don't know what whether this resonates or not but going back to some of our earlier conversations and about layers it really got me thinking that you know we've talked here about a foundation of kind of behaviors or ethos sort of street scale rooted in um a b c d asset based kind of community development type principles leading to some organizing you know leading to perhaps to some formalizing and maybe some connecting and maybe some, uh, you know, you're building from the bottom up a connected interdependent ecosystem, which isn't about concentrating power and efficiency, but is about finding the right layers to support and enable each other that are rooted in those street scale behaviors and ethos. That for me, that kind of layering up in a way that ultimately doesn't seek to create efficiency, but seeks to create you know, the spirit of mutuality interdependence is kind of what you need. And if you miss any of those layers out, you jump too quickly to formalizing or connecting, then, you know, you end up servicizing something or trying to be efficient about something and and you miss the, you miss the whole point.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was interesting to go back to uh, what was just said about this idea of scaling up to, which I think links to what you've just said, Bob. Very often the people who are doing the planning for us are possibly most removed from community life and, and don't experience it or see it through through the same spectacles. So what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic was kind of neighbours becoming neighbours and that sort of morphed into the need for a volunteer passport. And I, I think when we can get neighbours to connect to each other like, the the system is quite risk-averse, you know, it's frightened of something going wrong and you can un- understand, you know, why that's the case. But when you can get neighbours to commit to each other, you know, the system doesn't, can't see that. Actually, we can safeguard ourselves, really. We do know, very often, who the people are in our community who we possibly wouldn't trust. We do know who we might want to go to if we need a little bit of help with someone. Uh, and we do know possibly the people who might need a little bit more help in, in seeing that. And then that for me is kind of what stops us, what what turns us a, it, turns everything into a project rather than being something that's kind of organic within our community, that we get all risk-averse and all health and safety centred.
1: The bizarre thing about talking about mutual aid and mu- mutuality is you still end up in a, in a sort of binary debate situation. And I don't know what that's about, but because we're such fans of uh, the the mutuality concept and mutual aid, because bizarrely that seems to set us against people who work within the system. I don't think it does myself, but people listening to this podcast have said that some people have refused to come on because of that. They think we've got our minds made up. We certainly don't. I guess I just want to talk to two people who actually uh, despite how you're sounding both have worked and do work within the system
2: a lot of what we try to support through community business is that ecosystem so the formal enabling the informal and i would say in the places where this works best the local authority also plays a part like this is not just a a sort of system that sits apart from you know statutory the statutory systems they they can also be part of that enabling infrastructure I think about a place like Calderdale for example which has a really strong policy around community anchors and really tries to enable them to meet the needs of their community and I think it's really interesting that when the floods happened in Calderdale um, in 2017 I think it was that what they what the local authorities saw was that the first responders were the were the community and the community networks and community organizations and that created a pivot within the local authority as to how they would work with community and how what they realised was that a strong community fabric and a strong sort of community safety net is essential to being able to run an effective council because going back to what i said earlier you you can't provide a service to meet every human situation and if you don't have a strong community response you're going to be stuck and i think we saw that again in in the pandemic so i think the best local authorities can be an effective part of that ecosystem I think as a funder, I'm also really conscious that we often create demands and uh, ask for data and ask and et cetera, that, that makes that boundary that we talked about earlier more difficult and pushes things out of shape. So, you know, we have our own governance requirements and we, we think about how we we can justify that we're delivering on our mission. And sometimes that leads to us asking organizations to provide us with things that bends them out of shape. And, I mean, Angela talked about it earlier, like suddenly the outcomes that you're being asked for to report on are not the ones that you actually think are, are meaningful. So, we're you know, we're just about to kick off a bit of work to look at how we can be more proportionate with what we ask for. And I think it's, a, it's about really giving away power, isn't it? It's about us as organisations recognising, organisations with power in the system, recognising that our role is to enable the vision of somebody else. And how do we do that fully so that what we're asking for make sense to them as much as it, and not just to us. And it's a really long journey. And I think you know, I've been in the funding world for six years, and things are moving. But some of the conversations that we had when we first started Path Change, and Matthew, you were there, haven't progressed massively. And I still remember when we first started. One of the things that really stuck with me was that somebody saying Matthew Bocock in fact, saying, you know, one of the challenges for community organisations is that they have to mix their own cocktail. They have to go from funder to funder and you know get what they need. And one of the things we really need to enable is we mix the cocktail for them. And then it's it's much less onerous for them. And they don't have a different set of reporting requirements for 17 different funders. And that hasn't fundamentally changed. So I think that yeah, you know we we create you know we fully recognize that we create we we create part of the problem and that money is part of the distortion of some of this. Because every time we we support something, you know, we we put requirements on it and that, yeah that creates its own dynamic that's different from what the community
0: would have done itself. Is it a large part, going back to the behaviours, like the spirit of the way in which people engage? Because, uh, you know, larger organisations and have skills or oversight or thoughts or ideas or experiences from other places that can be useful and helpful and which other places don't have access to. It, but if there's a spirit of mutuality and, and an ecosystem in which people are trying to create it, it's not just about trying to find ways not to distort and enable, but also about the unique perspective you have and how you bring that to the mix built on those kind of behaviours and those starting points.
2: Yeah, so I think for us, we've funded, say, over a thousand community businesses. A lot of what we can do that's added value is share a lot of what we've learned so that others can get there more quickly, not not insist that things are done a certain way. But, yeah, you know, we have funded, I I don't know, 500, 600 community hubs, we can say a lot about the models that we've seen work and not work. And so that national overarching perspective that we have, we can sort of take that data and give it back to communities to be able to use in in ways. And I think one of the things I think is interesting in work like Tessie Britain is doing through Participatory City is trying to find, trying to think about way platforms and approaches that can enable and accelerate the community action rather than sort of dictate it. So I think you know all of us in our different bits within the ecosystem, positions within the ecosystem, can find ways in which we can enable community action to happen more easily, more quickly, more in line with what the community wants. But it takes, I think, it takes creativity in the way that things like Participatory City are trying to do, reimagine what it, what the, those enabling roles are and what the enabling functions need to be, and who can play them most effectively.
3: Yeah, and I think, uh, well, I live in Wigan, and Wigan, you know, is kind of one of the councils in the country who have been exploring how they shift power in some way to the community for such a, you know, know, for a good long time. And they're really trying to do that. And after the pandemic and during the pandemic, I've had conversations with our chief exec and with uh, senior managers too, and, you know, they recognise that some of the, response has been paternalistic and they're really really open to doing more which is such a kind of positive place to be living in and you can see that starting to trickle down so for example you know they they made 600 pound really easily accessible to us to get the pantry going with no strings other than just write down the cash you need you know so there's a real intention and and one of the things that i talked with They're called service delivery footprint managers here in Wigan. So our locality manager, one of the things that I'd talked with him about at the beginning of the pandemic was how do we get to a a, 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 a space where you can wrap services around us so we can kind of do what we're doing as neighbours. And then when we know that we need more than neighbouring us, we can kind of have a very easy and open relationship that brings that in do we start thinking about oh, oh that that can work and and they're not quite they're not quite there but that's that's an open an open conversation and then there's also some challenges I think with with mutual aid you know because we do really need to be honest about it like without things like universal basic income you know. The more people do for themselves, the less they need people doing things for them or, you know, to them. But I think we could reshape the role of the voluntary and community sector into being these enablers, you know, that help us grow. Because we will need people connecting and weaving in because we're human beings and we fall out and we get a bit of power and uh, we go a bit crazy with the ego. So so there's always work to be done within mm-hmm. within community mm-hmm you know that that that
0: space is is always required. She said something very interesting there and yeah. you know I'm going back to that kind of layers thought but there's another one even before you start behaviours which is you know basic basic needs you know being able to participate yeah. um, being able to step up and take part in community development before you get to organising you know there's there's another there's another enablement layer which is is pretty stark um uh, as we've seen a lot of the inequalities that have that have been really exposed over the last 10 months or so
1: yeah i just wanted to talk about something that a bit what you have just pointed out is we're talking a lot about community aren't we but there there isn't one community so you know the community will this the community will that i mean back in the early days of power to change that was something that was a real wake-up call for me was that you know and you must have found this video community owned business so so who's owning the business is it only the members of the community who wanted it to happen So with you, Angelo, is it only the people like us, as in people like us, people like you, who will get engaged in this? You know, what about people who violently disagree with you? What about people who don't don't want to do that? I'm kind of fascinated by, I guess, how this happens with people with wildly different views and how we allow that to happen and keep the mess. Because um, I I just think we're in in danger of seeing the community as one like-minded, homogenous mass.
3: Yeah, and we're not, are we? So we kind of create the space for us all to uh, be alongside each other in our own ways. And and that's one of the things, actually, that we're starting to embark on, uh, some of the women who are working behind the scenes in our little mutual aid group. So we, we've kind of gone out of our way to kind of sit outside post offices and just chat to people over, over the pandemic when we've been able to or chat to people who, you know, just to just to learn about people and to find out more about what they think and feel and we're going to do more of that over the next 6 6 months we're starting a kind of listening campaign really to really get underneath and begin to Uh, understand what we think and feel about a range of different things in our community And, and part of what we've been trying to do I mean we've got a we've got a thousand members on our Facebook group so that's about a tenth of the ward at the minute and we're going out and chatting to people too is trying to kind of learn to agree to disagree so talking about things like what are your views on COVID and what are your views on vaccines and you know having some conversations and trying to find the middle ground with it there's got to be space for everybody we're not looking to kind of say this is the way that everybody who lives around here needs to join in and be of. we're just looking for ways of all learning to live
2: alongside each other and get along yeah and I think I think there's a risk that we as a shorthand we we kind of talk about community in a way that makes it seem very simple but I think there's a constant need to keep ensuring that the the approach being taken is in, is inclusive of as many people as possible but i think that what i what i find attractive about community business say from my perspective is that it's it's about people who live in the local area rather than about labels and i think that makes it incredibly powerful you know people are, are welcome regardless of label which is you know very, a very a real contrast with services but actually you know each community business and each community organisation and sort of group of community activists has to work hard to make sure that they aren't just becoming an echo chamber of their own you know only to people that agree with them and and that others in the community are, are excluded and that's that's a sort of lifetime's work I think
0: yeah yeah it's really hard I was going to pick up on one thing because we talked about whole ecosystems and a role for institutions and and um, one of the things that one of you talk, talked about when we were thinking about this podcast was the sort of uh, the example of the 15-minute city you know and I know you've done loads of work um, recently, on high streets and so on, at Power to Change, um, and Angela, I'm sure that's been a big part of some of the conversations in Wigan too. But there was something kind of interesting about how that 15 minute city idea kind of helped encapsulate perhaps some of what we were talking about in terms of a ecosystem based on mutuality.
2: Yes, it's this concept which started in Paris that we could live more locally and that our needs, be they for work, um, family life, or social life, would be drawn from a radius of 15 minutes around us rather than this model that we've tended to have of you know you live somewhere you commute for quite far away into a, into a major city to shop and to work etc and I suppose what where I thought this came together with the community action was was that a lot of what we need not just sort of work social life but also certain, you know what we often think of as a service need could actually be met in that local community through a much more mutual mutuality based approach
3: I think that's really interesting, and I was talking to someone about that actually yesterday. and It reminded me of when the Sure initiative was launched, and we talked about pram pushing distance. Mm, yeah. uh, and it reminded me when, when Sure Start came out, I, I was like, Yippee! You know, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And what I noticed, like many, many years later, is that the community that I'm quite it, it, it holds a really Big place in my heart in in Neverton where I was working as a development worker in the late nineties. Is prior to Shorestart, the the local area had lots and lots of associational life, and then SRB came along, and Shorestart came along, and Health and Safety came along, and Ofsted came along, and when I went back to do an evaluation for a lottery uh, application within the within the community the whole associational life had disappeared. And when I talk to people about that, you know, they've been told that what they were doing wasn't good enough. It didn't meet standards. And so people went home and they let other services come and do things and show them how to do things right. And then austerity began and those services moved out and we we're, were left with, you know, and that's what their kind of lottery application was about, is how do we start to rebuild what we had before the helpers came and and so I think that's something that we really need to be holding close to our hearts and at the centre of our thinking as we move forward towards a preferred future is how do we make sure that whatever we do as we move forward doesn't displace what we already have but seeks to search it out and build on it and when we know what we've got then we can work out what we might need
1: to wrap around it wow I sure hope somebody was writing that down or maybe chiseling it into a a public building somewhere because yeah I found myself punching the air at that point Angela thank you very much I always come into this podcast curious and I leave very upbeat because there's fantastic people doing fantastic thinking uh, about this and talking about it and making stuff happen and that's great not every day do I feel energized and motivated to go out and clap again and to restart the mutual aid group and get back on the WhatsApp and support our local COVID volunteers because it's cold, it's January, I'm knackered and someone else can do it for a change. So how about we just close the podcast with, with thoughts on that? Angela, how do you stay so positive?
3: I, how do I stay so positive is trying to just focus on some of the things that really bring me joy and trying to think about the things that don't make bring me joy. How can I organise to do something about those rather than rant and kind of shout at them? But every day what I see, like our local group, I just log on to there if I want to smile. Because every day somebody's giving somebody to somebody else or somebody is offering to support somebody Every single day there are people out there helping each other and it's all the invisible people who, who we don't see who were who were there, there to help last week at the food bank, at the food pantry. You know, some bloke just came in with a big box of food to give to one other family to sort them out for the week and he didn't want to be named and he paid forward for two memberships and it's those random acts of kindness that nobody notices and nobody sees that cultivates a community of care and love and I think the more we do that the more we'll just grow it it's got to be love has got to be real Real love at community level and a real intentional desire to cultivate kindness has got to be the antidote to all this chaos and hate. And at the same time, I'd love all uh you know, I'd love us to kind of sort out all this inequality too, you know, because that's got to stop, hasn't it?
1: Thanks, Angela. Uh, Vidya, your thoughts?
2: I suppose my... My positivity comes from the fact that communities are just getting on with it. And I think the era of permission seeking if ever there was one, is is over. And that, you know, government's in such a state of disarray. People have just decided to to get on with it themselves. And whilst everyone is knackered and it's cold and, you know, every day, much like Angela, just in my own little street, you know, two of our neighbours have got COVID and the whole street just jumped on the WhatsApp and started offering help. They got on the WhatsApp to tell us that they couldn't move their car which is blocking some of the, some bit of the street because the person who drives the car has got COVID, and so somebody offered a parking space to get the car out of the way, and you know the, we just kind of sorted it out. And I think the the fact that this is growing, despite the fact that the the wider system isn't necessarily there to embrace it yet, is I feel is very you know that that gives me real hope. But I'm also sort of secretly hopeful that gradually the the wider bigger system of policy and funders is is starting to wake up and and take notice I think it's you know even though that progress on that front isn't happening nearly quickly enough from my perspective I just think it's really hard to now deny the value and the strength and the power of community in having seen what we've seen over the last nine months and what we'll continue to see over the next you know three six months who who knows how long this is going to go on for and that gives me yeah, that gives me hope we are seeing in action what we some of the change that we need to to bring about and that's just incredibly powerful
0: I totally i feel that too video and one of the things that i've really enjoyed about this conversation you know it's it's really easy to, uh, as we have done in other podcasts to kind of get very excited and celebrate all those little examples and then kind of create this kind of um dichotomy as math, math described it you know informal versus formal street versus scale and all the rest of it but this conversation as you've listening to both of you you really start to kind of see how a wider system and a set of institutions and a vision for the future based on principles of mutuality is not just about small street scale stuff it's built from there that is the, the essence of it but it's about a whole way of being across society and perhaps we have got the opportunity now to start to see how that rolling out in practice to see the value of it and for it not to be considered this the nice niche little thing while everybody else gets on with the efficient work of creating these important services it's you know the basis on which to build and i'm really hopeful for that
3: me too Uh, every every lunchtime in the room that i'm sitting at there's a group of pigeons who go and sit on the roof opposite where i am and they have a natter and they turn up every day And, and to me that's how it starts and that's the bit that we don't value you know is the opportunity to sit together and have a natter because it's there that we learn that we've got more in common with each other than we think we have and we find out that there might be things that we might both want to do together and and we've disinvested in all the nattering uh, it's about time we started chattering again
1: well i think we've got the title for our podcast there bob that's uh, uh, be more pigeon <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I won't add that some people in my street want to shoot them,
0: but uh... <laughs> <laughs> that that mir- that mirrors real life. I think uh, I think it's fair to say. All I want to say to close is thank you very much, both of you. Really enjoyed it, and thank you for coming on. Hope you enjoyed it. I love yeah, it. Great. Right. And uh, it's been it's been great to have you on.
1: Thanks again to Video and Angela for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it at home. If you want to share your thoughts, ideas or stories, please email us at hello at practicalgov.co.uk. That's hello at practicalgov.co.uk. Or tweet us and get involved.